have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to take it, please, and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Well, we're probably about um, eight hours from Wall Street, I would assume. And uh, uh, as you know, if you watch the news, uh, there's a lot of uh, spastic contractions and fluctuations with the markets. Uh, a lot of people are very concerned. There's countries that used to be aligned with the United States that are now saying we're thinking of moving away from the dollar and we're going to embrace a whole new system. And so uh, the thought is that uh, the Chinese, I think it's called Yuan, is what some of those countries are aligning themselves with. So as you think about this whole matter of, of investing, it's, it's hard to know when to, you know, educate yourselves and, and how to figure out when to buy, when to sell, when to hold, when to fold, that kind of thing. And, and Jesus here gives us some real clear instruction on this matter of investing. With that in mind, pick it up with me. We see his words here in this uh, very short section of Scripture. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. We see him uh, giving us words in regards to investments. He gives us words in regards to insight. And then lastly, he gives us words in regards to influence. With that in mind, notice his words on investments. Jesus speaks. He says these words, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But contrast, in contrast to that, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor uh, thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus here gives us some real clear insight on an investment strategy that will, in a sense, in reality, take our investments clean out of time and into eternity if we take heed to what it is that he says. You know, it's real easy to kind of get settled in here thinking this uh, earth is our home. It's a temporary home. We're strangers and aliens, according to Peter. Uh, we're passing through our citizenship, according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we're merely passing through. Uh, our citizenship is in heaven from where we await the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our mortal bodies into a body likened to his glorious resurrection body as he returns for his church. He says he will do it by the exertion of the power that he has, a power by which he will subject all things to himself. That's the next thing we can anticipate in terms of the eschatological calendar, in terms of the Lord's imminent return. We call it imminent in the sense that it's at any moment. So Jesus, I think here, was fully aware of our humanness and our tendencies. And he says, you know, it's, it's so easy to become so earthbound and horizontal in our outlook in life that, that we miss real opportunities to invest in that which really lasts. Now, as you think about who he is, he's all-knowing, all-seeing. He's omniscient. He knows more about investing than Warren Buffett or, or some of the other gurus in that arena, uh, Warren Buffett, Charles Schwab, whomever. Now, now, what is Jesus talking about here? 
don't lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth. Is he saying we shouldn't uh, save for retirement? Is he saying we shouldn't have a savings account? No. As you look to Scripture in its entirety, for example, over in the book of Proverbs, it says these words. Go to the ant and consider its ways. Be wise. It has no commander or overseer or ruler, yet it stores up its provisions for the summer and gathers its food for the harvest. So Jesus here isn't uh, condemning saving, nor is he telling his uh, followers to give everything away. What, what he's talking about here, what he's warning us about is this. He's warning us about gathering up stuff material things when it's our motive to find our security in the things that we possess. That's what he's talking about. A number of years ago, there was a fellow in Kansas City. I had reached out to him many times. His wife was a, a German immigrant. Her name was uh, Marie Hockey, and she would come to church regularly with her German Bible in hand, and she would uh, read the scriptures out of her German Bible. Her husband was a, a very a wealthy, self-made man, and uh, I would visit him from time to time. I had happened to have the president of our Bible college at our church to do some special uh, teaching on, on a long weekend, and so I decided maybe since Dr. Pipkin is a little more the age of Mr. Hockey, maybe that would you know, somehow or another bridge the gap in terms of maybe the communication with Mr. Hockey. So I took Dr. Pipkin there, and he was a, a big boisterous kind of voice, sort of sounded like God when he spoke. You know what I mean? Deep voice like this. You know, so that's how, you know, Dr. Pipkin was. And so took him there, and he started engaging Mr. Hockey in conversation. Mr. Hockey had a house full of... Uh, um, uh, grandfather clocks, which he had built by hand. He had these swinging pendulum clocks throughout his house. He had a barn that was sort of, I say it was, gosh, it was probably 60 yards by 25, full of antique cars, many of which that he himself had restored with his own hands. And so Dr. Pipkin, in dialogue with Mr. Hockey, said, Mr. Hockey, I'm just amazed at all these things. He said, uh, is there joy of all this? Is the joy in the making and recreating of these things? Or is the joy in the having of these things? And without blinking an eye, Mr. Hockey said, it's in the having of these things. Finding security in the things that he possessed. Now, now Jesus is saying, listen. Money is not for keeping score in life, buying things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't know. That's not what money is for. Money is for addressing real needs, whether it's in the context of one's physical family or spiritual family or community. As God leads, we respond, right? So he's saying here, listen, there is a problem with uh, an earthbound portfolio, and that's the simple fact that there's two issues. Number one, it's, it's short-lived. Number two, it's soon lost. And he talks about the risk here in verse 19. It's subject to rust, and thieves steal it, and so on. I think of the dear folk over in East Palestine. How do you say it? Palestine? I think it's Palestine, right? I, anyhow, 
we, we had a family that used to attend here periodically that lives over there. They bought a beautiful uh, stretch of land, probably 15 acres with a house, just a, a four, five, six miles away. Guess what? That real estate's hardly worth anything right now because of a chemical spill. You see, an earthbound portfolio is subjected to all kinds of risks. And these dear folk in East Palestine probably would retrieve 10% on the initial investment that they make. He's saying, listen, short-sighted investors build up portfolios upon the earth. And then he says, that should not be you. He puts a but in here. Notice the next uh, verse, verse uh, 20. It's a, a contrast. But in contrast to that, you ought to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, thieves break in and steal. How do you do that? How do you do that? You invest in that which is eternal. There's only two things that happen to be eternal. Number one, people. Number two, the Word of God. Okay? People in the Word of God. So what are you saying? It's saying this. When you and I invest in the work of God, in the people of God, in the Word of God, it is an investment into an eternal portfolio that will never, ever, ever collapse. Only two things, eternal people in the Word of God. And such an investment bridges time and goes into eternity. Any cat lovers here today? See your hands. I, I have my first cat. I, I wasn't really fond of cats growing up. We didn't have one, but we, we do now, and I kind of like it a little bit. <laughs> he brings us gifts that are half eaten and drops them right in front of the front door. Does your cat do that? Anyhow, this guy lived in New York City with his wife. She loved and adored this cat, but he did not like the cat because he would claw up their, you know, their upholstery on the furniture, jump up on the bed in the middle of the night, wake him out of a deep sleep. He just did not like cats. And so his wife went away one weekend for a long weekend, three-day weekend, and uh, he got a bag and some heavy rocks, and he put the cat in the bag, tied it off, and dropped the cat in the Hudson River. It's not, not good. I wouldn't advocate that by all means. I would not. So, she came back. She was just beside herself. She was so upset about losing her cat. He said, honey, I love you so much. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put an ad in the paper. And as I put the ad in the paper, I'm, it's, it's a $500 reward. So that ad ran for a week. No response. He said, honey... I'm going to up it to $1,000. I'm going to up the ante to $1,000. Well, a friend of his at work said, listen, I saw what you did in the newspaper, this local borough newspaper, and uh, there's no cat worth $1,000. And he said these words. He says, well, when you know what I know, you can afford to be generous. Listen, and I'm serious at this point. If we had an inkling, if we had an inkling of what it means to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom, we too can afford to be generous. He's not advocating poverty. Jesus is not advocating poverty. 
But he's saying, listen, when we know who we are and we know what we have in Christ, we can afford to be generous. So we see his words on investments here. And he's saying, listen, when we invest in the word of God and the people, then we are making an investment that will indeed bear eternal dividends. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heavens. Notice his, his words on insight in, in verse uh, 22 and 23. Christ's words on insight. What does he say here? He says these words. If the, the lamp of the body is the eye and your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? Now, here Jesus uses um, the eye metaphorically to symbolize our perspective in life. He is saying, listen, he's saying your eye is good. Your existence will be full of light and you will not be stumbling over all these transitory trinkets in life if we are seeing life with an eternal perspective in mind, okay? That's what he's talking about here. When you and I live with a sense of spiritual farsightedness and we factor eternity into our lives, into the decisions that we make, into the way we live, we are those who are walking in light. Our eye is clear. Our body, our existence will be full of light. The light of Scripture and an eternal outlook is so important because it helps us see clearly the importance of exchanging uh, the junk bonds of this earth for the precious jewels of, of heaven. He also reveals the vacuum of an earthly oriented eyesight. Notice what he says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. You'll be walking about in the darkness, he says. So live life with an eternal perspective. Live life with eyes wide open. Live life knowing that uh, uh, you need to exercise spiritual farsightedness is what he's talking about here. Otherwise, you're just going to live a life and sort of uh, meaninglessly shuffle through life and, you know, you'll have a momentary uh, little fleeting moment of satisfaction, but that's it. That's it. If your eye or your heart is generous, your spiritual life and existence will be flooded with spiritual light, understanding, and insight. His words on insight, live life with an eternal perspective. Well, thirdly, he talks about influence. Notice it with me in verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Love in the ancient Near East in our Lord's day had very little to do with affection and emotion, a lot more to do with devotion and priority. And so he's saying, listen, you, you, can't, you can't dance to the, to the music of, of two orchestras at the same time. You can't be married to two people at the same time. You can't worship at the temple of two separate gods at the same time. Ultimately, one or the other governs our affections, determines our priorities, and writes for us our definition 
of success. Two masters, God or mammon. One calls you to be humble, one calls you to be proud. One calls you to set your affection on things above. One calls you to set your affections on things below. One calls you to live for eternity. One calls you to live for expediency. One calls you to look at the things that are unseen, the eternal things. The other calls you to look at the things that are seen and temporal. C.S. Lewis is a name that you recognize. Many of you have read his works. He said these words. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought the most about the next. Think about that. For we fix our eyes not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is, is temporal, it's fleeting, it's passing. But that which is unseen is eternal. John, the beloved apostle, said, stop loving the world, stop it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is, 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 is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who engages in the will of God abides forever, and whatever he does in terms of the will of God abides forever. Remember the old song, it kind of helps us in the alignment of our priorities Helps us kind of get it here. Uh, it, it goes like this. Oh, soul, are you, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, a life more abundant and free. Here it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, listen carefully. Since you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and, and set your mind, your affection upon things above, not upon things here on the earth, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let me to put it in the most simple of terms, what I've tried to communicate this morning, two things. Number one, love Jesus. Number two, live for eternity. It's that simple. What is it that, that Jesus is asking us to do here in, in the Sermon on the Mount? He's saying, listen, love me. Isn't he worthy? He certainly is. After all, he's done for us and what he's doing and what he shall yet do in our behalf. He's coming again. Going to change us completely. Love Jesus. Live for eternity. Fix not your eyes on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. For that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal.